0: This podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversations along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth.
1: I am, I'm actually a little stoked about this conversation. Yeah. I think that we did a pretty decent job uh, last week in, in kind of reviewing things and, and providing an overview of kind of what yeah. we're hoping the show will be. How did you feel um, about last week's conversation?
0: Uh, it, I mean, it's a tough subject. So, I mean, my hope is that we're going to do justice to it.
1: <laughs> so, so tell me so tell me what what how did you feel about last week's episode? I,
0: I thought it was a it's a large subject, and so I'm just hoping we're going to do um, justice to it, you know, to present it in a generalized overview kind of way because we have to do that primarily, you know to ease into the subject before we get a little more specific so and it is so subjective, you know everybody mm-hmm. experiences it differently, so you know you just kind of hope that you hit all the high notes and that everybody can relate.
1: Right. At some level. And I really want to mention that subjective point because, you know, there are some experiences that, that don't seem to be so much of a subjective thing, right? Right. When we think about serious issues of abuse, um, child abuse, rape, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, yes, that, that's probably more of an objective thing, but legitimately, It's how we personally deal with it. And so when we talk about trauma being subjective, we're really talking about how the person is responding and interacting with that event, not the event itself. And I know we talked about that last week, but I really, before we even get into our mental minutes today, kind of just reviewing that last episode, that's something I really wanted to point out. Is that it? Really, kind of comes down to to not what happened, but how we respond to what happened. Right.
0: Well, and I think it's it's important to differentiate here as well. That when I say subjective, I mean each person in understanding the situation is going to see it through the lens of the experience they had that produced the trauma. Exactly. Not so all the physiological uh, responses are going to be somewhat the same because our bodies are built a certain way and to react a certain way. Those will not be subjective. It's just that most of the time we're very unaware of those, uh, those processes. Right. We're much more keyed into our actual experience. So I think it's important that we differentiate that because what we're going to be talking about tonight is, of course, a lot of the physiological.
1: Yes. And in fact, I am going to be upfront about this, that when I was working for the crisis line I would frequently do trainings on trauma in which I would talk about the lizard brain and the wizard Mm -hmm. brain all the time. (laughs) But I don't work there anymore and I haven't Mm -hmm. for at least almost two and a half years. And so I have actually felt pretty (laughs) nervous about today's conversation. Really? to To the fact that I sent Michelle six pages of notes Because (laughs) I was, I did, because I'm just like, I want to make sure that I, we do justice to this. But even in as we would, again, we still have mental minutes to do. But Mm -hmm. kind of in prefacing the conversation today, I don't think we're going to get that in depth. I mean, I think we're going to talk about the physiological things in regards to the brain. But there's a lot of information to this and there is a lot of actual neuroscience behind this. And right. so so really you know you're not talking to scientists, you're not talking to well I know Michelle is like in the process of getting her PhD. She's about to become a doctor. Sidey. Well, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's <And> not. <laughs> it, it is. It's in the same category. And it's I am not. Yeah. I am very far from being a doctor of any shape or form. I do have two master's degrees, but I am not a doctor. I have not spent a ton of time studying the brain. So a lot of this I have I've gotten from just doing research and reading and kind of using what I know. And so before we even jump in, I just want to provide that kind of as a caveat that we're going to do the best that we can. But like, if you have questions, please engage with our Facebook Live, reach out to us via our hotline or reach out to us via our email. And we can do what we can to provide more information about this topic. But Let's stop talking about it. Let's <laughs> let's talk about you, Michelle. How are uh, you doing?
0: Do we want to do that?
1: I I actually do. Yeah, it's it's kind of the format of our show. We've kind of I been,
0: know I we've know. Kind of
1: been doing that since the get go. Yeah. So yeah, I do want to know. Uh, How's my co-host?
0: I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that's happened this last week. Most of it I really don't want to share. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> so let's not talk about details. <laughs> let's not talk about the details. Let's uh-huh. talk about how you are feeling like what can, can you talk about that? Can can um, we talk yeah, about I, I, the emotional stuff you're going through rather than getting into all the nitty gritty into regards to the details? Right.
0: Well, you know, I had shared that I had started therapy. Yeah. I feel like that's been a good experience so far. However, it has been emotional and difficult. The one of the things that I experienced, uh, you know, early on with that is, is suddenly my brain turned on to all these things that. I'm very aware of now things that might've been faded into the, into the woodwork, so to speak for a long time that are now mm-hmm. front and center again. Right. And so a lot of stuff kept coming up and I was really self evaluating a lot and, you know, very introspective and it kind of was, and I'm an obsessive personality anyway. No. And so I was kind of driving myself crazy and I have found that I I am emotional when I'm in the room, um, even though I don't like to be emotional Mm-hmm there's, there's times that I, it comes up, I don't have any control over it. And, you know, I I kind of have talked with somebody before in a very informal fashion. So I I was aware of what it was going to feel like, but I've, I've really enjoyed the person that I'm, that I'm speaking with. And, and she's very down to earth. She's very uh, approachable, which -hmm. is helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that has helped me with some of the emotion, I had some things outside of that this week that happened that were intrusive and on my process and were quite honestly I don't even know what the word is. I it it felt victimizing all over again and there was nothing I could do about it because I was in that mindset. Right. And so something happened inadvertently. It pissed me off royally. <laughs> And yep. and the the main reason it pissed me off is because I had no control in that situation, mm-hmm. and of course, control is my my deal anyway. So I I was very angry. I'm still very angry about it. Uh, I mean, I'm not raging about it, but it's sitting at the simmer point on that. I also have spent quite a bit of time this week not feeling heard, mm. and that not not from therapy, but just in life, not feeling heard, and that annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> When I'm going out of my way to explain something and to say, this is, this is what I need you to hear, to have somebody walk over the top of that as though it's unimportant is incredibly frustrating. So I'm having to manage my temper a little bit, which I'm, I'm not great at.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, you've mentioned that you're a control freak.
0: Not very much so.
1: <laughs> but to be honest, when things happen that are outside of our control... You don't have to be a control freak for that to put you into Shoot, a tailspin. That's true. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's so I'm assuming that considering that control is a big deal for you, that you know, it's not just I don't have control, but it's almost magnified. Yeah. Because that is so important. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it exacerbates it for sure. Yeah. And and so you find what you find is yourself reaching for those things that you can exert some control over just to feel okay, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe that's an obs- more of an obsessive compulsive, you know, expression. Right. Redoing a calendar, redoing your finances, a task list. I mean, something that and that's typically my go to is where I start rearranging things. Really, it manifests itself more in my daily habits. So I'm a very structured, organized person anyway. So Mm -hmm. there's things I do in a certain order every day. And the reasoning behind that is is typically so you don't forget to do something. Because typically if you have a habitual way of doing it, you don't skip steps. And Mm -hmm. I find that if I skip a step or I change the order, something gets forgotten. And so I tend to get much more focused on those things. So everything in my environment, in my room, my office, my kitchen, everything is in its place. Everything is set a certain way which again can come off as very obsessive but to me it's a it's exerting control and saying for this moment in this environment this is mine to control and that helps me feel a little more normal you know because i can't control these things over here right so it's a coping mechanism you know we know that and i can recognize it even in the moment but i have just given myself permission in that moment because i cannot control the thing that's really making me angry i'm going to control this because it helps me Relieve the stress to some right. level,
1: so. and so and I know you have mentioned the planner and these different things. Is mm-hmm. it helping?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it does. I know my sleep is off this week, so you know I'll wake up, my brain clicks on, I can't make it stop, and that's just the scenarios going through my head. So it it is helping somewhat, but it's probably not doing the job I need it to do.
1: Can so. I make a really cheesy counselor line? Sure. <laughs> And I say this and I hate doing it myself because I'm a perfectionist and I care about my handwriting. I can't tell you how many journals I have that like have 10 pages written in them and then I stop because I'm using a G2 pen and I, you know, it Mm -hmm. didn't look good enough.
0: (laughs) Oh, I worry about things like that too.
1: And I'm like, I don't want anyone ever to look at this and think that my handwriting is not perfect. But... Has that been something you've thought about maybe when you wake up and like those you're having those thoughts and it won't go away and you can't go not back to not in the middle sleep. of the night like I I've <laughs> found that writing helps.
0: In the middle of the night I won't do that, but no. Okay. And and okay. I won't do that yeah. in the middle of the night. Sometimes during the day, however, I've not written much lately and that's a little abnormal. I'm even behind on homework right now. I need to get caught up. Aren't you an um, author? Yes, but (laughs) I haven't written anything in a while. So I'm trying to finish up the things I have going. I need to get those done. So, you know, it's just, plus, you know, the other stressor here is that, you know, of course, I was very ill. And so that still has had some lingering effects over the last week. Just just the last day or two that I felt pretty normal now. So hopefully the sleep will come back in line because of that as well.
1: It's all a matter of time, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, it is. It sucks.
1: However, (laughs) didn't you have a little bit of an up? Like didn't the illness come back like you were getting better and then it seemed like everything was going well. And then this last week, did I not see a Facebook yeah, yeah, post something, about that?
0: Something this last week I came across co- cross contamination or something this last week. And because my immune system is already, you know, stratospherically right. up here at the moment, right. uh, it immediately jacked the response again. So yeah. I had another 48 hours of not feeling really well. So, and again, it takes time after that. Um, <laughs> Matthew's yelling at me. <laughs> Yes, Matthew. I know. I know. I have things to finish. I have not forgotten.
1: <laughs> if you really, Matthew, on uh, on Facebook Live, everyone. He just commented that, yeah, a, you better finish things up, Michelle. Get you well, Ma- in gear.
0: Matthew and I wrote a book together, and I have the I have the manuscript because I have some changes to make. So he's waiting oh, on me to do that. Oh. So, and I have not forgotten. It's it's weighing heavily. So. <laughs>
1: she will get to to it, Matthew. I
0: will. I promise I will. she will get to it.
1: Just like that review I was going to do for you that I promised like seven (laughs) months ago that still hasn't happened just because. Well, that's
0: the other thing. I got to pull together all my endorsements because that's got to go back to the publisher too. Yeah. So So that's another thing I have to be working on.
1: FYI, I give you permission to drill sergeant me until that is done because I read your book and I think it's amazing, but I've never been asked to do an endorsement. So I'm like, I don't know what i'm doing
0: it doesn't so. have to be this big drawn out thing it's uh, just do you what know you thought. me
1: <laughs> everything i do is long and drawn out it is who i am uh-huh.
0: come on now like if i'm gonna
1: give you that's why you haven't gotten it it's not because i don't want to it's because i want it to be like they read this and they're like holy shit i've got i have to buy this book <laughs> so. well
0: i have quite a few i just have to pull them all together and get them in one place and send them to the publisher so he can do his okay. little magic with them. Well, so. don't
1: send it until you get it from me and you keep harping me until you get okay. it. Okay. You got All it? All
0: right. I'm going to bully you.
1: You can't. I'll take it.
0: <laughs> I can okay. take
1: bullying from you.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Your middle minute. How's your weekend?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, there's so- I should have had something planned. Shouldn't I have? Uh, Lizzie? that cat is out of control she really is (laughs) everyone you heard if you heard a noise in the background that is my cat lizzie she thinks she owns the house we could start there (laughs) Manelli is gone lizzie has found Manelli's paw print and literally has been carrying it around the house in her mouth i'm like you do not own her like the paw print you had you had done to mem- commemorate her life yeah. and lizzie thinks it's a toy lizzie's
0: keeping her clothes that's all she's keeping her clothes
1: <laughs> i highly doubt that is it <laughs> this week okay so today at work was an absolute disaster all right. Uh, none of my systems would work. And you know when it's a new, like when it's a new higher training class and mm-hmm. it's their first week with the company and <laughs> your systems don't operate. And, and you're you face. have the And you kind of have to just sit there and like lie through your teeth and try to make it sound all nice and neat. Yeah, that happened.
0: Aww. Which It's made not even your really class, stressful. right? It wasn't even your class. You took it over, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah it wasn't I even was- your class.
1: I had this week off, like not off, I, but like I was working, but like I didn't have a class. In fact, right. Wednesday, I, I text my mom early in the morning and I said, you know what, I'm really thinking I might just take Friday and and Monday off because I didn't do any PTO after one of my good friends died, and then right. I had to put Manelli down, and I worked. Right. I kept working because I was in the midst of a class, and so I kind of wanted to take this weekend off. I mean, you know, add a few days because I've got another class that starts on Wednesday. That's changed now, but that was what was on the agenda. And uh, I got a text message at like seven o five on Wednesday that said, "Hey, uh, the trainer that's supposed to do this class is sick." Yeah. And we don't have anyone to teach it. Guess what? It's your it's lucky you. day. <laughs> You've got an hour. Prep yourself. You're leading a class. And Fun. this individual is now deeply ill. I can't really say too much because of HIPAA oh. and whatnot. But he's not going to be back oh. for a while. So it's now my full class. Oh,
0: and that's all right. It'll come together.
1: It will. Except that I was really looking forward to not having a class this week, so that I could watch the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump, specifically today. Because I have today, completely avoided it. Today was the Republicans' arguments, and yeah, I, I really wanted to hear it because I think it will be comical. But I missed it so I'm gonna watch it after we do this and it's also uh, why uh, because of all my exciting
0: IT. Friday night for you there
1: I'm gonna be watching the impeachment stuff and editing this episode
0: okay yeah we're down to the wire this week
1: yeah we really are <laughs> we both and push it you a lot not You were not playing any games either. Like, I'm sitting here at my computer. Like, I've got my boss IMing me with all these things, and I'm writing up all these reports that are going on to directors and managers about all the stuff that went wrong and wasn't going well. And here I have Michelle. Seth, where are you? (laughs) Why aren't you? Why? Hey, Seth, hey. We agreed that we were going to record at 5.05 to give making you shit five up. minutes to have a cigarette before we jumped on. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding that me. That was Can our discussion. Give me five minutes? That was
0: your discussion with me the other night. I said none of that today. I simply said, hey, where are you? <laughs>
1: okay, don't use logic and reason. <laughs> I'm in my emotional I brain gotcha, at the moment. I got gotcha. <laughs> you. Yeah. And then I also, I'll go here in my mental minute. I... As a person, and, and even as well, I'm a person, <laughs> and then even a mental health professional, I tend to be a bit of a pushover, Aww. and I kind of let myself be picked That's on and bullied and put down Kisses frequently.
0: Pisses me off for you
1: all the time. It's one of the reasons why I really like having you around. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I'm I like heavy. having you on this show. I'm the heavy. <laughs> You make life a little better. Thank you. But there's been some of that going on (laughs) this week, and it's kind of hurt a little bit. And so I'm kind of evaluating a lot of my personal relationships and kind of looking at how can I stand up for myself Mm -hmm. in certain situations and when I shouldn't, and when I stand up, when is that going to cause issues, and when is it not, and all of that jazz. So I'm kind of weighing through that. Um, Now, as a therapist, I know a lot of the things that I need to do and the things that are beneficial to do. But when I'm very stressed out, that doesn't happen very often. Well, I have my baseball bat. Just
0: tell me who I need to go find.
1: I'm not having you take a baseball bat to anybody (laughs) because I'm not paying your bail. (laughs) Shocker.
0: I don't know how I'm supposed to get out my frustrations if you're not going to play along.
1: (laughs) I know. Life's hard. (laughs) But let's <laughs> let's move on to the subject matter because really, we have a lot. It's to a cover good subject, today. yeah. It's a good subject, and i I want to um I want to just mention I, I hate trigger warnings. I I really do because I think they get way overused. And we talked a little bit in, the, in of this in our last episode, but but truly. Uh, Where we're going to go in today's conversation is very much centered on actual neuroscience. And it's based upon what is happening in your brain, specifically around traumatic events. So if you have experienced a history of trauma, or even if it hasn't been diagnosed and you feel that you've been dealing with trauma, I want to encourage you to hang in with us during this conversation But if at any point this becomes very triggering to you, or that you're having trouble processing, or it's putting you into a dark place, one, take a break. This is going to come out on the podcast tomorrow, given that I edit it tonight. It should come out (laughs) tomorrow. And also, I want you to remember that we do have a hotline number. Now, I'm not going to provide, I am not your counselor, I am not your therapist. But if you are struggling, I want you to know that you have a number you can text. It's 314-690-5005. But we also have a, and it's becoming more active. Uh, We have a pretty active Facebook group right now. And I want you to feel comfortable to check in there. I have some moderators who are helping out. Um, in fact, Michelle and I have already committed to actually kind of checking up in there at least once or twice a week uh, just to kind of shoot the shit, see how people are doing, check in. Um, so I want you to know that that is a safe place. When we talk about the lizard brain versus the wizard brain, Michelle, what am I talking about?
0: You're basically talking physiologically the, the way your brain is developed you're talking about yeah. uh, when we when we reference the lizard brain we're talking about just above the brain stem and that's primary mm-hmm. function or primary uh, development and that is basically yes. for survival that is basically eating or you know breathing uh, you know homeostasis of the body and and then it begins to develop up from there the limbic system into the prefrontal cortex and all of these things but it they function very very differently and so that's what we want to that's what we yes. want to discuss tonight because quite often a lot of our responses come from one or the other of those places and depending on mm-hmm. whether they're traumatic or not and what they do to us physiologically one of those portions of the brain will take over at any given moment yeah. yes
1: now i'm going to jump in i'm actually going to talk about we're actually going to look at the different sections of the brain and how a lot of this works and I laid all of this out with notes to Michelle so she's got some of that for on hand um, but as we as we start this conversation I really quick want to just touch on a couple things mm-hmm. all right um, first of all I want you to understand that when you have experienced a traumatic event this if you have been traumatized this means that con- it continues to organize your life As if the trauma was going on. We touched on this last week, but when you experience a traumatic event, it could have happened a month ago, five years ago, 25 years ago. It continues to impact you. And when we look at trauma, it is fundamentally the creator of adapting and mitigating behavior. And our bodies, the way that we were actually made is that we are to be reactive to the environment. And you can tell this even from a baby, right? Um, From the moment a person is born, they are responding and engaging with their environment. Now, the range of how we handle that varies from person to person. And that is why we talk about trauma being subjective. Some people... And it's just the way that we're brain. It's the way that your your brain is made and it's the, it's unique to you. There are some things that are going to be okay for some and are going to be deeply, deeply damaging to others. Right. Keeping this in mind, I want to talk about what our brain, what we actually need our brains to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's essentially five things that we rely on our brains for. One, they generate internal signals that register what our bodies need, such as food, rest, protection, sex, and shelter. Mm -hmm. It also creates a map to the world to point us where we need to go to satisfy those needs. It then generates the necessary energy and actions to get us there. And then it warns us of dangers and opportunities along the way. And as a result, our brain adjusts our actions based upon the requirements of any given moment. Now, having discussed that and understanding what we need our brains to do, let's look at the different parts of the brain. There's essentially three. All right. Um so as Michelle has already mentioned we have a reptilian brain and this is the first thing that develops it's developed in the womb and it's literally part if if not part of your brain stem it's just above your brain stem and the reptilian brain is highly responsive to threats throughout our entire lifespan And it is our brain, it is our reptilian brain that is control of our most basic functions. Eating, sleeping, using the restroom, bodily functions, all of that stuff. It's why we often see people who have perhaps like serious traumatic brain injuries, right? They're still alive. They're not there. The rest of their brain is shut off but their re- reptilian brain is still on. So you know what that
0: made me think of as I was reading through that and and thinking about how that functions? Mm-hmm. I, you know, for a long time I was hooked on the show The Walking Dead. And yeah. that's basically the premise of that show, is that the person died, basically, but their brain didn't completely die. What was left was that reptilian brain that was responsible just mm-hmm. for trying to find food and and. Just basic function. There was no emotional connection. There was no cognition. It just simply was yep. function. And so it made me think mm-hmm. of that show. And I thought, I haven't watched that in a while. I should go back and watch it.
1: <laughs> well, it speaks to a valid point. Yeah. People who are in, in devastating car wrecks, mm-hmm. right? And they can continue to live for a very, very long time with absolutely zero cognitive function. Right. You know, we often refer to that as a person being in a vegetative right. state. Technically, they can continue to live. They can right. continue to live for a decent lifespan um, with, you know, some support right. in that situation. But it and it's because their reptilian brain, which is part of the brainstem, was protected when the head was injured.
0: So Cassandra's asking a question. She says, So is that where the immediate responses such as fight and flight are managed?
1: That is a great question. It actually it is. And it's not. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> <That's> so <clear. laughs> the, the reptilian brain, so let's keep going with this. The reptilian brain works in harmony with your limbic system, which is the brain above the reptilian brain, all right? And it's what we call the emotional brain. Um, your limbic system is organized mainly during the first six years of your life but it continues to evolve in a use-dependent manner, and trauma can have a major impact on its functioning. And within your limbic system is a small <laughs> it's like almond-shaped things. it's It's called your amygdala, all right? And it is legitimately what we what we mean by the lizard right. brain. But I like to look at lizard brain as both the entire limbic system because that's your emotional right. brain and your reptilian brain. But a lot of the times when we're talking about fight, flight, or freeze, and we're talking about the lizard brain, what we're really talking about is your amygdala, which is located in the limbic system. Questions on that? I got it. What do you think? I got it. Sorry. I've been training all day. I was going to say, are you waiting for a response or something? (laughs) I know. Everything I say, I'm like, and, and does anyone have any questions? Does that make sense? Are we good? You're All at the, right. You're we're at the moving front of
0: the classrooms.
1: So. <laughs> so when we think about the lizard brain, we're essentially talking about the amygdala. But more importantly, we're kind of talking about that entire back half, mm-hmm. the lower end of right. your brain, both the reptilian brain and your limbic system. And what these functions really are, are controlling your breathing, your heart rate, your hormones, and your emotions. Now, in front of that is your prefrontal cortex. And now your prefrontal cortex develops last, it's the last thing to develop, and it is affected by trauma exposure. And when it is impacted by trauma, your prefrontal to- your prefrontal cortex may very well have difficulty filtering out relevant or irrelevant information right. so information comes in and you're unable to decipher what does that mean is this important and trauma can can definitely impact that ability part of for example myself I suffered a traumatic brain injury as a child. I was in a coma for six days, and a lot of my prefrontal cortex was damaged. So I often have a lot of difficulty being able to do rational reasoning and things like that. I probably shouldn't advocate that as a mental health professional, but it's <laughs> well, true. Well,
0: but it's it's your experience though too. So it, yeah,
1: it, yeah, it is. And, and so keeping that in mind, I want to keep, I want to keep going, but I do have questions here for you, Uh-oh.
0: Michelle.
1: <laughs> We're talking about the amygdala. What do you know about the amygdala?
0: Honestly, that, I mean, I I know that surface level information. Uh, I have not studied deeply into the physiological aspect of the brain. And it's, it, I mean, I have that basic information, but I, of course, and I, I think I mentioned this to you earlier this week, uh, talking about talking in therapy about, and and Mm -hmm. my therapist uh, refers to it as the midbrain where these things are happening. And, and I think we had a discussion the other night in which I shared that she and I had discussed that if there's trauma, like severe trauma as a child, that often those synapses Mm -hmm. are not connected. Those neurons are not functioning the way they're supposed to, there's damage done to them. And I think that's all within that system If I understand it Mm -hmm. correctly, that's where that damage is is, that you may never get that. You know, that may never be the way it's supposed to be.
1: I want to come to this here in a couple Mm of minutes, but since we're already here, I'm just going to note Mm -hmm. this. There has been a lot of research in neuroscience that's been done that has discovered that neurons that fire together, wire Mm -hmm. together. So, when you've experienced a traumatic situation, all right, that could be a one and done and your brain may very well cope with it. But when that happens over and over and over again, essentially what your brain does is it develops like its own neural pathways. Mm -hmm. So that when something happens, rather than what it would normally do, since it's gone this previous way so many Mm -hmm. times... It's it's literally paved a path,
0: right? And that's what's fascinating, though, because our brains have that ability for us to rewire them, basically to create new neural pathways that actually can avoid that damaged yes. portion, so that you do begin yes. to heal somewhat. And I'm using air quotes around healed, right? Because and I th- I find that fascinating the the fact that you can literally rewire your brain, uh, you have that uh-huh. ability. Yeah. And and I think that's got to be a very valid part of of treatment for trauma. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise Absolutely. how would you ever go around that other than to just accept it and say I have to live with the consequences of this trauma. You know, but mm-hmm. instead you can actually almost rewire your brain and actually live from a much more productive perspective.
1: Yes. And speaking of that, I want to just really quick give a shout out to a book. I it's already I mean we've already established that we're both reading Body right. Keeps the Score. Um, but when we're really looking at treatment modalities and ways of building those new neural pathways, um, I really want to give a shout out to um, a book called The Trauma Treatment Toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Jennifer Sweeten. She's a psy Congratulations, Michelle. This could be <laughs> you. Uh, she lays out 165 brain-changing wow. tips, tools, and handouts to move therapy forward. Is that the one you told me about and last is-
0: night? That's what mm-hmm. okay. I thought it was. And it
1: is. it literally just came in the mail today, so I have not been able to spend a ton of time reading it. But it is very, very highly recommended. Most clinicians that are working in the field specifically around trauma refer to that right. book.
0: It sounds interesting. I, when you showed it to me last night, I thought I really would like to get that at some point because I am interested in that and trying to understand it. I, I'll be honest right now. I'm having a hard time reading books right now. So, And you know that's I mean, huge I, for me because I read Almost nonstop, but I'm having a real hard time with it.
1: Like 20 books a week Yeah,
0: I do. And that's not an exaggeration. So to me right now, not being able to read is very frustrating. But um, Cassandra has another question. She says, when someone is young, if they are removed from consistent traumatic environments, can the brain forget the trauma but still be triggered by things they don't recall previous experiences of trauma to? I'm not sure I read that well.
1: 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's basically
0: what we're referring to when we say trigger. That's what's happening. Yeah.
1: Because a lot of times people will experience triggers and they have no idea what is actually going on. And in fact, identifying what that trigger is to the point and I see we're using trigger. I know so I hate much. that I hate word, but word it trigger. Is, it's valid. It word. is valid. But but when when your fight flight or freeze is triggered, when it is a better word. When your fight, flight, or freeze is activated, you often don't know what activated, right? Yeah. Or what it's actually speaking to. Um, a lot of times in trauma therapy, um, specifically looking at modalities like EMDR, mm-hmm. eye yes. movement desensitization, like part of that. Is trying to get to the under root of trauma that people don't have at the forefront right. of their mind. And they're using they're using because
0: cues from your eyes to do that. Cues on where to find yes. the trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And I want it kind of further flowing off of what Cassandra mentioned here. You can experience these events and it, it doesn't seem traumatic to you in the moment. It, it starts to impact you years later and then it's like, wait, that's unresolved trauma, right? But I learned to stuff it down for so long, I developed all of these maladaptive coping right. strategies as a way of dealing with it without actually understanding what's going on. And and what EMDR is really helpful for is being able for you to actually identify it because your brain is protective. Mm-hmm. Specifically, if you experience something very, very traumatic as a child, all right, your brain will do everything it can to protect you to the point that you may actually completely right. forget it. Right. But as I'm about to talk about here in a few minutes, it's even more complicated than that because what we know after looking at brain scans of people who've experienced trauma uh when we when we reactivate it when we activate those centers we actually have found that when a person is reliving a traumatic event there are portions of their brain that are in control of memory and speech that go dark like literally they go dark you cannot access them
0: yeah because you're and you're stuck in most, that moment again Exactly. Yeah, and, and so, and I'm, I can only speak from my own experience, but you know, it has there was a lot of trauma when I was a kid? I, when I find myself thinking about those, even right now, trying to say that I find myself thinking about that I, I have a hard time stepping away from what my mind is seeing to actually vocalize what I'm trying to say because mm-hmm. my mind is focused here on this event. And, and mm-hmm. that makes it very difficult in the beginning to deal with. Because you keep getting locked back instead of being able to take the emotion away, step back, evaluate, and ob- and just observe, you know, and then vocalize what you're seeing. You're actually in that moment emotionally. And you're right. It shuts down the rest of your responses, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to go a little bit further here to really look at the amygdala because the amygdala is essentially the center of the lizard brain. Now, I like to refer to the lizard brain as the entire bottom half, like the the mid to bottom half of your brain. But your amygdala is also what we often refer to as your brain's smoke detector, Mm. all right? It identifies whether incoming information is relevant to our survival. And this is where it gets tricky. Your amygdala operates way faster than your prefrontal cortex it operates faster than your cognitive brain so what will happen is that your amygdala will recognize um, and, and receive information incoming input and make a determination that's relevant for our survival it does so quickly and it does so automatically It does this with the uh, help of the hippocampus, but we're not going to get into all of that. Um, But your amygdala is what is responsible for fear, anger, and negativity. It's that part that keeps you from succeeding. And as Cassandra asked earlier, your amygdala is what is responsible for fight or flight. Now, I'm going to read, and I'm not going to lie to you, these are not my words, okay? Okay. I am taking this paragraph directly out of the book, Body Keeps the Score, and I very much encourage this book, but I really want to talk about this because it lays, this, it lays out what happens in such a straightforward manner. Um, sensory information about the outside world arrives through your eyes, nose, ears, and skin. These sensations converge in your thalamus, an area inside the limbic system, so within your emotional middle brain, and it acts as the cook within the brain. The thalamus stirs all the input from your perceptions into a full blended autobiographical soup, an integrated coherent experience of this is what is happening to me. The sensations then are passed down in two directions. Down to your amygdala, which are these two small almond-shaped structures that lie deep within your limbic system. It's your unconscious brain, all right? That is the thing that's immediately acting and it's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze. The other place where this information goes is to your frontal lobes, i.e. your conscious brain, where your conscious awareness is. The pathway to the amygdala is like a low road, which is extremely fast, and that the frontal cortex is the high road, which takes several milliseconds in the midst of an overwhelming threatening experience. So what can often happen is that you, your brain, identifies something as potentially threatening, and your body automatically responds without your cognitive brain having any idea of what's happening. Now, it might in a couple milliseconds, and then it can be like, oh, no, got to yeah. pull back. This, I'm not, Whoo! this isn't happening to me again. But you may experience this rush that it is. Right. And that's when we really look at these, as we've talked about in the last episode, trauma responses. A lot of the trauma responses that we experience are actually the result of our amygdala I can't talk. <laughs> Actually, the result of our amygdala believing that something horrible is happening, right. even if it isn't. Can you identify with that machine?
0: Absolutely. Anytime you know, you'll have things that come up, and again, I'm gonna use the word that we both don't like. You'll have a trigger that happens that you may not even realize is a trigger. Mm-hmm. And it and it will happen. You will have an outburst or some, some physical response. And it's almost like, because it's happened to me, where you almost are outside of it going, why am I reacting like that? Like you, there, It's like you're observing something that doesn't make any sense to you because you don't understand right. why it's happening. And it's only after it's brought to your attention that you go, oh, that's why I responded so strongly there. But you mm-hmm. had no conscious thought of, I need to respond very strongly here. It's just an immediate reaction.
1: Right. And I... And just now again, we're going to have episodes where we talk about all our own personal traumas. <laughs> but like I will often have moments where someone will say something and I I fly off yes. the freaking handle. Yeah. My response is completely out of proportion into what is actually occurring. Right, And a lot of the time, it's because my brain, my amygdala, is receiving that as a threat because I'm viewing it similarly to something that's happened in the past, i.e. that's the thalamus, or it's either the hippocampus or the thalamus. It's the one that connects to your personal past, but it's one or the other. Um, (laughs) I don't remember offhand. But It happens to me all the time.
0: Well, one of the things that's problematic about that, especially as as somebody observing somebody having that happen, is that you don't understand what's happening. You just think that person's being overly emotional or that they're being dramatic. And, you know, I kind of have to chuckle at those because I know those are things that have been said to you, Seth. You know, you're overreacting, you're dramatic, you're being too emotional. I've had those things said to me. But the reality is, again, this is not a conscious decision to react this way. It's a response that we're struggling to catch up and understand. Um and I can tell you yeah. I had I had an experience and I, I don't know if you'll remember this or not uh several years ago there it was in the news there was a young man in California who had gone to Stanford University and he was on trial for raping somebody after a party. Mm-hmm. And he got I think 3 months in jail after he ruined oh, somebody's wow. life. I had such an immediate strong reaction. That it was one of those moments where I was almost standing outside of myself, going, "What the hell is wrong with me?" Like ju- the reaction was so over the top that I I mm-hmm. almost couldn't I couldn't stop myself, and and it the rage went on for a while. It was only later when I realized, "Oh, I know what that is. That was you know her life being and basically being told her life wasn't as worth as much as his after a sexual assault." Well, I've experienced that, so. I wasn't consciously thinking about my own event, but because of that, I had this over-the-top reaction that I even didn't understand in the moment. And I remember somebody saying to me then, like, God, what the hell is wrong with you? And and and, and one part of me is going, I have no idea. And the other part of me is like, how freaking dare you? <laughs> and, you know, and and flowing into that rage. So it again, it's not something we're sitting around consciously considering and choosing. This is the part of our brain that's functioning purely on response. So it's, it's, it's a very strong, strong response. That response is not a conscious decision. It, it's something that just happens mm-hmm. and that we're struggling to catch up and understand. So it's yeah. – and, and that's frustrating because if you don't understand that's what's happening, you kind of feel like there's something really wrong with you. And, and to some degree there is, but it's not that yeah. there's anything desperately wrong with you. It's that your, your brain is functioning the way it's meant to function to protect you
1: exactly and i want to further talk about this because that is so that is one of the most commonly misunderstood things around trauma right is we look at people with traumatic experiences and we and i know i talked about this in the last episode but we talk often around trauma and people will automatically think that there is something devastatingly wrong with this person right. that they need serious help that they are out of control that they shouldn't be responding this way when in fact they are responding exactly right as their body is supposed to um, and so i want to talk a little bit about this some, uh, some more when we feel under threat and when those survival instincts do take over whether it's whether it's a real threatening environment or our brain is perceiving it as a threatening environment, when this happens, we experience a feeling of being flooded. Right. Can you identify with that?
0: Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's, yeah, you feel like you're drowning in the response.
1: Mm -hmm. And when that happens, a few things occur. And this is where it gets really interesting. So regardless of whether it is a truly traumatic event or not, if you perceive it as a traumatic event or it's you know your brain is perceiving it as danger 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 your fight flight and freeze will kick in and when that happens you will uh, your body will automatically release cortisol and adrenaline your heart rate will increase your breathing will speed up your pupils will dilate and literally the blood in your body, which Michelle knows all about this, your blood in your body will move directly to your muscles. Mm-hmm. It is ready to respond. That's right. Like you are on it, like it was if someone were threatening you and you need to run for your life or fight for your That's life. Right. Your body will do that naturally. Yeah. Without you doing anything. If your body perceives things being a threat, this is what's going to happen. And what also is quite interesting is that when this happens your lizard brain will shut which i know i already mentioned that like it goes dead in these areas but like it's super fascinating like when you're in that fight flight and freeze response it literally unconnects your access to your prefrontal cortex <laughs> like you cannot access it it literally shuts it off. Okay. And that's what's so, that is what's so scary, is that when you're in that place, you cannot be articulate. You can't think quite as clearly. You can't find the words to express how you're feeling. Your ability to do logic, risk assessment, and even language is disabled.
0: Right. It's almost like a fugue state you know, I've shared before my son has epilepsy, and when he comes out of a seizure, that 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 rational part of him is not there. He's in a fugue state. He's mm-hmm. just—it's like everything's rebooting, and he's just trying to—you know—his body just starts doing the normal things, but his his mind is not there. Right. You can't have a conversation with him. He can't form words. Mm-hmm. So it's it can be very it can be frightening.
1: Oh, it's it can be absolutely for, terrifying for, for yourself,
0: but also for people that are that are seeing it happen
1: around you, yeah. trying to help you, yes. try to understand what's going on. Right, absolutely. And you know I mentioned this a little bit about kids versus adults. Mm-hmm. All right, but adults, as we get older, all right, as we get older, we actually can have a little bit more control of our prefrontal cortex. We can actually be able to not allow the lizard brain to completely shut it off all the time. Now it may, it may happen, but it's not, you know what I'm saying? We, we've grown, our brain has developed. We're at a point that it can still occur, but we also have more of an ability to shorten that time period. Kids, on the other hand, do not have that ability they haven't been around long enough their brain isn't developed long enough they don't have control of those different types of things their wizard brain is literally not yet fully developed right. yeah the, and i said wizard brain their wizard right. brain is not fully de- sorry if i said lizard no you said the wizard brain the wizard brain is not fully developed and therefore it's very easy for the lizard brain to shut that off mm-hmm. so when a when a kid I'm um, someone young enters this state of mind. The most important thing that you can do is one. Keep them safe. Check the surroundings. Check what's going on. Keep them safe in that moment and keep talking to them. I don't mean that you talk about the, everything that's happening. Tell me what the trauma was. Tell me I don't. That's not what I'm saying just keep a conversation with them over even something very simple and basic, all right? And as they're going through this experience, model to them how to remain calm in the face of crisis. That is how kids learn. It's how they take those next steps forward. When they're in that fight, flight, or freeze moment, that is not the time to lecture them. That is not the time to teach them a new concept, okay? You've got to give them some time. Talk to them to keep them, to keep them present, but don't go into an entire teaching moment. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That you, you, it, it's a lost cause. They're not going right?
0: re- to recall. They're not going to retain.
1: And not only that, you may further agitate them. Right. You may actually further escalate the crisis. Right. And, and so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. And now I want to speak to Cassie's question. Um, she said, so how do you help someone exit that immediate rage response when they are in that moment? I find it easier to do with people I'm not as emotionally connected to, but struggle with it when it comes to people I care the most about. And I get that. completely. And And this is the thing. You got to let it ride. You got to let it ride. Michelle, what do I mean by that?
0: Well, I think you go back to what you said a minute ago. You want to maintain their safety. You want to maintain that they're not hurting themselves in any way, shape, or form. But you kind of have to let the process happen. Because you really can't have too much of an effect on their brain. They're not able to really... They're not able to rationalize something in that moment. So basically, it's about comfort and care more than anything in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation about it can come later when when things have de escalated and they're they're more back more back when they're further enmeshed back into the prefrontal cortex response instead of responding from that lizard brain.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um mean, now I just to kind of because we're nearing the end of this episode, we've already been on live for an hour, but I feel like I could keep talking for another. Uh, there's just so much for us to discuss here, but we've really just focused on the lizard brain. So I want to just talk a little bit about the, the wizard brain. So looking at that prefrontal cortex, understand that your wizard brain um, is the second last to develop. Well, actually, your frontal lobes, which are part of the wizard brain, develop last. So your wizard brain. In, in essence, it, it develops last. It is in control of your language, your reason, and your logic. It's what we often refer to as your cognitive brain. And yes, Lizzie is playing with my headphones right
0: now. <laughs> She's so um, cute.
1: <laughs> the, the prefrontal cortex, so your wizard brain, it is the youngest because it develops last. And it takes up about 30% of our skull. And it is primarily concerned with the world around us, understanding how things and people work and figuring out how to accomplish our goals, manage our time, and sequence our actions. And then beneath the rational brain lie two older um, and to some degree separate brains which are in charge of everything else, your moment by moment, registration, management of your bodies, physiology, and all of that jazz um and then finally we reach your neocortex and you, your neocortex is what holds your two frontal lobes and they are they develop at age 2 pretty rapidly and they enable us to use language and abstract thought right. and part and and the reason i like to mention the frontal lobes is because within them there's like and i think they call it like mf uh, lc it's like uh the medical uh, frontal lobes and I don't really understand that part of the neuroscience so maybe someone who's a neuroscientist can speak to me about that <laughs> but within your frontal lobes there's like a there's like a a hub okay it's often referred to as your watchtower um, and it offers a view of the scene from from on high the amygdala as we've talked about which is in your limbic system it doesn't make judgments all right it perceives threats and it jumps directly into fight flight or freeze response your frontal lobes though specifically the watchtower in your frontal lobes is what we get our reasoning from it's what gets us when it gets a chance to weigh in with the situation it's often what helps us calm down Mm -hmm. because it's the it's the part of our brain that is able to make those shots And really help you understand what is an emergency and what is not.
0: It's the rational part of the conversation.
1: Absolutely. The issue is that when we look at trauma, specifically post-traumatic stress disorder, and there is a difference. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. But within PTSD, the critical balance between your amygdala and the watchtower shifts radically, Mm -hmm. which makes it much harder to control our emotions and impulses. And that's where this whole trauma conversation comes into play. We've talked about all this stuff with the brain. What I want you to understand is that when this occurs, when we've experienced trauma, our ability to manage our emotions and our impulses becomes much, much more difficult. And I feel like I have talked the majority of this episode. No, it's fine.
0: No, it's fine. You did a great job,
1: but I feel like that's a pretty good. I feel like that's a pretty good laydown of how our brain works,
0: and and I'm sure we're gonna. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna come back to this more and more because I I feel like this is a very foundational part of the conversation as we move into understanding trauma and the effect of trauma on our body. You know, because there's things all along there that I'm thinking we can come back to that. There's a whole body chemistry thing that's going on. You mentioned cortisol and adrenaline, but there's even more about that that is in reference to this. And so this is foundational. And I think that's why we had to do this series this way. Instead of it becoming very experiential, this had to be very almost clinical or cerebral because we need to lay this foundation so that we can understand everything that is happening emotionally.
1: So once we start talking about specific situations in regards to trauma, if you don't have this understanding of what's happening in the brain, the responses and the trauma mm-hmm. responses and everything that's coming through that makes zero sense. Right. Well, also cortisol is super important, yeah. especially if you looked into that ACE study I mentioned yes. last week. Like cortisol is like truly a bad guy. Yeah, for the most part, it's, when we have too it's much. It's
0: actually ironic because I had a discussion this week about that it's been a while ago now, and I may have mentioned this to you at some point, I had done blood work, and my body chemistry results came back, and my B12 was very low. So I started getting B12 injections. And the doctor I went to at one point said, we, we haven't done your blood pressure, let's do your blood pressure. And he did it. And he stood there for a minute, he goes, your blood pressure is like, alarmingly low. And I was like, really? Mm. I said, it's always been on the lower side. But and it's Yeah, that's really, really low. He goes, that is an indicator of adrenal fatigue. And I said, oh, he goes, and I'm betting your cortisol levels are not right. Well, in my mind, because I associate trauma with stress, I thought that meant your cortisol level would be very, very high. Well, what I learned this last week is, no, there's a very good chance because of prolonged trauma and that that all those body chemistries are messed up now and that I don't have enough cortisol going on. And I said, oh, well, then that makes sense with what he told me. So the physical came back to – understanding a little bit more about the mental and the trauma that was associated with it. So this is all so interconnected. And, you know, I I know, it. you know, coming from a Christian perspective, you know, one of the conversations that people have all the time is how beautifully and wonderfully we're made, you know, And, and so whether you believe that we're made that way, created that way, or, you know, we've evolved, whatever your belief system is, there's still no going around how absolutely fascinating our bodies are. And and how it works in conjunction with our brain, and how interconnected everything that we experience and the effect it has on our physical body is—it's—it's it's absolutely fascinating. So you know, the body keeps score is a is a great reference tool for all of this because it goes into those connectivities and and explains some things that maybe you just don't have an understanding of, and would actually help you process what you're experiencing emotionally. Yeah. It kind of gives a reason for some of it. Mm-hmm. That didn't make sense previously. So
1: And it's interesting because I said cortisol was a really bad guy and technically it's not. No,
0: it's seen that it's, way though.
1: Well, it, it's actually a very needed it's yes. actually a very needed chemical. The the issue is when you've got trauma, what is specifically prolonged trauma, right. as Michelle just brought up. Right. It throws everything into haywire. I just wanted to comment on that, which I know you already kind of did, but I said it was a bad guy and it's like, it is a bad guy. Well,
0: it's touted as the stress chemical. That's why.
1: Right. It's the bad guy when you've had a lot of prolonged trauma and a lot of stress. It results in physical health issues. But technically, when those things aren't happening, it's actually a very good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean the same can be said for pretty much any chemical your body creates if it's out of whack right. it's going to cause a problem it's not in its normal state in its normal state it's it's basic to function but out of mm-hmm. out of whack means something's wrong so yeah. they can all be bad guys and they can all be necessary it's it's just mm-hmm. you know i, I think Cortisol has been touted as the stress drug, and so everybody associates that. And then of course you have a whole health industry that says, oh, too much cortisol gives you belly fat. And so suddenly everybody wants to get rid of cortisol because I don't want belly fat, I don't want these things, but it is a necessary thing to help your body function. So yes. fascinating subject, honestly. It, it really is. is.
1: And I and really, we again, I feel like we're just scratching the surface because yeah, <laughs> all of this stuff All of this stuff is going to be coming back up. And as Michelle established, like this really is laying down this foundation. And so to kind of wrap up the episode, um, I just kind of want to leave everyone with with one thing here. And that is that our challenge, if we've experienced trauma in our lives, the challenge is not so much learning to accept the terrible things that have happened to us, but it's about learning to gain mastery over our own internal sensations and emotions sensing right. naming and identifying what is going on is legitimately the first step to recovery just right. as cassie said i could be experiencing things that are traumatic and and they have trauma in my past and i don't even know it yeah i mean maybe we need to reword that I have experienced things that are traumatic in my past and I don't even know it, but I'm responding. My body is responding to it, right. even though my intellectual brain has no idea right. because it protected itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this episode yeah. um, and kind of bearing with us as we go through this. Yeah. It's a thanks learning for the experience. questions.
0: That's been really yeah. awesome too.
1: The questions wow. have been great and we are so thankful that you're listening and joining along with us. Um, as I mentioned, please feel free to text us um, at 314-690-5005 if you have questions or, or things you want us to dive in further. And then by all means, if you're not in our mental Facebook group, Please look that up and join or reach out to me personally, and I will get you in there. We want you to feel safe in that group. We want you to feel that you have a place that you can go to talk. We want to be here for you. And uh, for that, I want to say thank you. And anything else you'd like to mention, Michelle?
0: No, just good conversation it's a great subject matter and I'm happy we could put it out here and hopefully it's going to be beneficial to somebody other than us
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping that's my hope yeah Uh, until next week uh, we'll be back see you later talk to y'all later